All right, here we go. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that we're going to start our new podcast, Pierre Lebrun. It's called Two Man Advantage. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting this sort of a sense of deja vu. It's almost like you and I have done this before, right? Are you with wait, me? wait a minute. I thought you told me, I guess you were kidding, that you were going to call this two people, one brain. Two bodies, one brain. That's what I wanted to call it. Two bodies, one brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, that just merely describes your relationship with me over uh, the years. And, and, and not just one person has suggested that it is, in fact, two bodies, one brain. But no, there was not as much enthusiasm for that title as I thought there would be. But, you know, two-man advantage, I, I think that works. And, you know, just I, it's sort of, it's not even a joke. And it's not even an inside joke. But you and I actually taped the first episode in an Uber after we left the player tour in Chicago. We're headed back to Midway. And uh, we immediately got overtaken by events. So we're going we're gonna to do it all again. It reminds me of... Uh, podcast you and Craig Custance and I did at uh, ESPN a few years ago. Um, we had to do an emergency segment because uh, right after we taped our normal podcast, Taylor Hall, PK Subban, uh, Shea Weber all got traded in about 20 minutes. Remember we had to, and we were like, Oh, I guess, mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to go back and tape that. But my, my hope is. Well, 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 we shouldn't, uh, it's not fair to say that the podcast that we taped last Friday on route back to the airport, was a waste because in fact our Uber driver got to hear everything live. And, <laughs> and I think his life has been changed forever by listening to the dimwits in the backseat talk about hockey, <laughs> him not knowing what the heck we were talking about. Well, what I was good, I'm, I'm hoping that sometime years down the road, it'll be like um, the band and Bob Dylan did all these basement tapes when they were recording together, I think in Woodstock, New York. And uh, years later it came out as the basement tapes. And, uh, and I'm sure this will be, received very similarly because I, I think of you and I kind of like Bob Dylan and the, and the band, but anyway, okay. <laughs> what, so what, the reason that we're going to retape that we're going to redo the first edition of two man advantage of podcast uh, with my good friend, Pierre Lebrun uh, is that we, we were overtaken by events first, Max Pacioretty, of course, traded from Montreal to Vegas. And then uh, a few, well, I guess the next day, but not too, too long after that, you know, really shocking news out of Tampa, I think, in that uh, GM Steve Eisenman uh, told his players first that he was uh, going to leave the team at the end of this year and um, spend some more time with family and go back to Detroit and figure things out, and uh, that Julian Breezeball would take over as GM uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, you pick. Uh, we would, where do we start with, uh, with really significant news on the eve of training camp? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything more shocking than Steve Eisman stepping down as GM. I mean, the Pacioretty thing was long ago in the making, whether you believe that he asked for a trade or not. Obviously, the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens and Max Pacioretty have differing views on that. I think, I think to me, it's pretty clear that he was uh, invited a change of scenery last season when he heard his name out there in trade rumors and the whole season was going to, to hell. But, but regardless, I, I think it was a good thing for both him I think Max Pacioretty is going to have a huge year in Vegas, motivated, new contract, and for the Montreal fans to move on. And, and you know, I think, believe it or not, I, I think the Habs are going to surprise some people, at least from the expectation of people thinking they're going to be as bad as last year. I actually think they're going to surprise some people. But I, Eisenman is the news, and obviously my dog's outside my office here at Reed. Good, a little my Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think because no one saw it coming, really. And it's interesting. I was talking to someone in the Lightning organization last night who said 
kid you not. Like they, you know, this was a very small circle of people in the organization that found out late last week and it was really tight. I mean, obviously Jeff Finnick found out way before that, but I'm just saying it was kept a very small circle, which is why it didn't leak. And you can just imagine when Steve Eisman let the players know um, on uh, on Tuesday what the reaction was. And it's actually how I found out because uh, one of the players' agents uh, gave me a heads up and it just about fell off my chair. And it's, it, you know, I, I talked to a GM from another team who then phoned me and asked me what the heck was going on because he talked to Eisman two days ago and, or I guess three days ago now and said he had absolutely no hint of it, that Eisman was upbeat and uh, they were talking business as usual and he just was absolutely shocked by the news. But, you know, that's Steve Eisman. He keeps things very close to the vest and, 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 you know, the reason they may have been upbeat is because he was obviously at peace with this decision, right? And probably has been. He made it in, I think, late July, early August. And, you know, if you think of Steve Eisenman's career, he went straight from playing to the Red Wings front office, Red Wings U, as he often refers to it himself, learning from Ken Holland and Jim Neal and Jimmy DeVolano. And then, obviously, Team Canada, uh, two Olympic gold medals, and within that, obviously, the the GM gig in Tampa, it's been nonstop. He hasn't really come up for air. And I think people really should take him to his word when he talks about, you know, needing to spend more time at home. A lot of people don't know this. I tweeted this yesterday, but, you know, Steve Eisman's family and his wife, Lisa, they never joined Steve in Tampa um, full time anyway. Like it, it was a commute. Family stayed behind in Detroit and Eisman would try to squeeze in you know, his, his GM life in Tampa with some time in Detroit at times. And, and I think, you know, at over eight years, I think that that's a lot. And uh, I do think that spending more time with family is, is absolutely uh, important for him right now. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there are so many layers to this. And <clears throat> I mean, let's stay with Steve Eisenman for, uh, for a moment. Uh, he will stay in a senior advisory role with the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that I mean, it's funny when you, you talk about his resume, you know, going from a Hall of Fame playing career, multiple Stanley Cups, uh, you know, playing on internationally for, for Canada and then to lead Canada internationally to back to back gold medals at the Olympics uh, and the team he's built in Tampa. Now, they haven't you know, obviously had the ultimate success, but trip to the final in 2015, conference final in 16, conference final in 18. And I think, you know, we'll get to this, you know, during this podcast, but, you know, on paper, probably the most complete team in the NHL right now, top to bottom. And, uh, you know, he's just, he has been, he has very quickly ascended to the top of the, the, the mountain, I think, in terms of, you know, when you talk to people around hockey, in terms of, you know, who are the best GMs, who, who, who are the people best at their jobs. And I think he's right at the very top of that list. And so we'll, uh, my guess, I mean, it's hard to imagine that this is the last we've seen of Steve Eiserman in an NHL capacity, whether it's as a GM or whether it's as a, you know, you know, team president or whatever, you know, so the hierarchy of, of, of team building. What do you believe that? I mean, uh, resetting is one thing, but retiring is another. And, and my sense is that we haven't seen the last of Steve Eiserman and there will be no shortage of teams and whether it's Detroit down the road, pending what happens with Kenny Hall and uh, of course a new team coming 
to Seattle. We assume if everything goes according to, to plan, perhaps as early as what, 2020, 2021. Um, what, what's your, do you have a, you know, you, I know you don't like to predict, but you know, crystal ball, I mean, surely we haven't seen the, the last of Steve, Steve Eiserman in terms of team building because he has been so successful. Yeah, no, I think we'll see him again. And, you know, again, that goes back to, I think, this decision. If you know Steve Eiserman, you know that he puts in the kind of effort in that jam job where, you know, he's entering the final year of his deal and, and Jeff Finnick, the owner, you know, talking extension with him this summer, I think it forced some soul searching for Steve Eisenman. And part of that is he can't do that job half-assed. Yeah. I, I mean, that that just shows you where he is with that. And, and I think that's what produced that decision is that he knows how much time and effort he has to put in to be a GM. He's a really hardworking guy. And so he'll have to be ready and be in the right place, frame of mind to do that again when the next opportunity arises. And I think there will be one. Uh, obviously, Detroit's the most obvious one that everyone connected him to. Again, he still has a home there. Yeah. Kenny Holland didn't exactly um, mute the speculation uh, in June when he signed only a two-year extension. <laughs> so it didn't really slam the door to that speculation. Um, but again, I, I also think that... Um, I don't think anything is, 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 you know, is on the back burner here. I think Steve Eisenman's the kind of guy that, you know, one step at a time here above board. And right now it's just about needing to spend time with family and what comes after that in a year from now will come. But I, I, I don't think there's anything at this point that uh, even close to being um, – at the back of his mind, I really do think he's going to approach it with an open mind. Yeah. So when we when you think about what you know, sort of the immediate impact, it sets up a really interesting dynamic in the Eastern Conference. You've got Julian Breesbaugh, who takes over now as after a long period of time learning uh, along with the. Uh, Steve Eiserman in Tampa, Tom Curvers was there for a long time before going to Minnesota in the off season. Um, and I think you tweeted this yesterday, and I couldn't agree more. I think it's been a surprise to a lot of people that Junior, Julian Brisbois hasn't found a role as a full-time GM in another uh, market uh, over the years. I think that's how highly regarded he is in terms of uh, you know his acumen. And uh, I, I expect it'll be a seamless transition as he takes over. But it does raise some interesting questions. You know, one of the players that still remains out there, and of course, you and I talked about this before he started to tape, as soon as we mentioned Eric Carlson's name, and we file the podcast segment later, uh, he will get traded. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, Tampa definitely linked to Eric Carlson, um, you know, going back to the trade deadline last year. So it'll be interesting. Does you know, does Julian Breezewa now that he is at the helm, is it, you know, is there a change in mindset in terms of pursuing Eric Carlson or interest in trying to add him to uh, an already loaded Tampa um, lineup? And then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to broaden it because we want to talk about the Washington Capitals the defending Stanley Cup champions, but they're in an interesting spot too uh, with the, a rookie head coach and Todd Reardon coming in, taking over for Barry Trotz who left, very abruptly after the Stanley Cup uh, win in Vegas in Game 5, first ever for the Washington Capitals. And like Julian Breezebois, Todd Reardon has lots of experience as both an assistant and an associate. Um, He was, you know, in many ways, I think, was being groomed to be, if not the head coach of the Washington Capitals, certainly a head coach somewhere. But still two rookie guys in very high-profile situations and maybe two of the best, 
three or four teams in the Eastern Conference and maybe two of the top five teams or six teams in the NHL overall. What do you make of that dynamic? Does it change? You know, does it? How much of a change is there for both Tampa and Washington as they prepare uh, for really important seasons for both those teams? First of all, you've asked me like eighteen fucking questions during that long, long period. Yeah. We're allowed to swear, right, on our podcast? Yeah, it's yeah, the athletic. Well, I, 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 well, if I was quoting you, I would quote you as saying that in my in the story. So. Honestly, I uh, you, you covered a lot of territory there, and uh, I started I started looking out the window. You know, but anyway, you know when you're talking to me, it's when I take a breath. That's when you have to start talking because I talk until I run out of breath. So anyway, okay, Tampa, Washington, simplified there. Two rookie guys there. What, does it change? Well, let's talk Carlton. Uh, that's what people care about, and and I, I do think that the Ottawa Senators want to trade Eric Carlson before camp, but not going to force it. I mean, uh, you know, if, if the deal isn't there, they'll hold on to him longer. But I do think for the same reasons the Habs wanted to move on Pacioretty, Ottawa wants to move on Carlson uh, in terms of the drama and the timing and everything else uh, and, and to turn the page. Uh, I do think Dallas is still very much in there. They've been there since the beginning. The Dallas Stars and their pursuit of Eric Carlson you know, to some degree, I don't know that Tampa or Vegas have closed the door. I don't know that for sure. Um, probably still keeping tabs. Probably a couple other teams we don't know about. But um, certainly, I, I think that, you know, those are the teams that you have to monitor. And certainly under Julian Breesboe, I don't think anything would change uh, in terms of, um, you know, how they feel about that player and what they'd be willing to pay. And clearly, those discussions in early July, at least, you know, Tampa and Ottawa had a completely different view on on what that would take. So, um, and I think that's been the struggle for the Senators. And I do think, again, I think GM Pierre is going to try and 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 really make a push here over the next few days, the next week or two. But I, I think the the struggle for them is that it, it's a terrible time to try and trade Eric Carlson after a year in which he wasn't himself because of the recovery from the injury. You know, his numbers were down. He you know, it's obviously a standard is so high, but it's convincing other teams that he's still that guy. He's recovered now. And by by the way, by all accounts, looking incredible and in, in formal workouts and looks like the Eric Carlson of old. So that's the big key for Ottawa is is, is getting that return. Um, but of course, if you're the Dallas Stars or any other team talking to the Senators right, you know, right now, are you signing Eric Carlson? What what if he what if he's not ready to do that? You know, what What if he wants to play out the year? That's a big risk in terms of what you're willing to give up for perhaps just renting out a player for a season. So that's all these dynamics, which is why it's been a difficult trade, not to mention the fact that Ottawa Senators, who don't have a first-round pick this year, haven't given it up in the Matt Duchesne deal, obviously have to get that back plus, 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 and so much pressure on them, obviously not to end up giving up the first overall pick, which will be Jack Hughes in June as part of this transition, that would be a nightmare for the senators. Yeah. Well, I like that you completely ignored my question about Tampa and Washington and the rookie guys, but I, I'm going to go with the flow because that is, that's my nature. Yeah. I didn't care for the Washington one. I don't really care. Uh, or, you know, whatever. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to Washington in a minute, but uh, I am curious because it, during our, uh, the basement tapes podcast or the Uber tapes podcast, you were quite adamant because we were talking about, well, you know, who, you know, the, the very, you know, the layered dynamics with Eric Carlson. Can you acquire him? You know, can you put a package together to acquire him? And then can you sign him long term? And there are some teams that might be more willing to look at Eric Carlson as 
listen, uh, we're all in right now. And if it's just until July 1st, okay, we can live with that. Um, and you were quite adamant that you didn't think Vegas, which has been a team in on the discussions right from the get-go, and they have a ton of assets. George McPhee has done a masterful job, of course, uh, acquiring young players, draft picks. Uh, you know, there's, 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 there's no question about what he, what he has in terms of being able to put something together. Now, having acquired Max Pacioretty and then signing him immediately to an extension. Does it change your view? Because you were very adamant. I don't think Vegas should be looking at Eric Carlson as a second-year team if he's just a rental, whereas maybe Tampa, you can excuse them given mm. how loaded they are, given where they are in their evolution. They're at a different place. And I wonder if it changes your view on that. Now Max Pacioretty in, in, in the fold there, you've got Paul Stastny added as a free agent in the offseason. You've got Marc-Andre Fleury locked up, signed a three-year extension <clears throat> in the offseason, still very much obviously at the top of his game. If you're, if, if you're George McPhee and you can't, even if it's just until July 1st, do you tilt, still take a swing at, at Eric Carlson? Because it's clear that Vegas is saying, we're not playing expansion team again, right? Like we're, we're not taking a backseat to anyone. This is a team in it to win it. Yeah, but I think, you know, I, you know, my favorite saying is actions speak louder than words. I mean, Vegas does not trade for Max Pacioretty until, unless they had a pretty good comfort level right before they made the trade that they could finish off an extension with Alan Walsh, the agent, right? For sure. For sure. So, you know, I spoke to a source and with the Golden Knights who said it was paramount for them to get an extension down with Pacioretty. So, in other words, they're not giving up a, a highly touted prospect like like Nick Suzuki unless they know that Matt Pacioretty's playing more than a season. Well, I don't know why that'd be any different with Eric Carlson. Okay. And I, I think that yes, there's this incredible onus right now in, in, in Las Vegas to uh, where I'm headed later today. By the way, um, there's a, I think there's an onus from owner Bill Foley all the way down to continue the momentum and build on last year's magical expansion year and not retreat back into a hole and 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 you know, lose, you know, some of that fervor. So double down, uh, no pun intended. So, you know, you lose James Neal and, and David Perron and Lucas Pisa to free agency, but you bring in Max Pacioretty and Paul Stashing, argue, arguably offensive upgrades. I'd say arguably because James Neal is a pretty good player for yeah. sure. But, um, and yes, I think the reason they stayed in, in and out, I guess I would say all summer long on Eric Carlson is, is that if the price ever, came down to what they'd be willing to pay, they, they would do it. And I think they would still do it. Um, although it's certainly, depending on who you believe around the league, uh, you know, I don't know that they're the front row right now. Like I said, there's you know, Dallas has seemingly just never left out of it. And, and you know, we'll see what Tampa does. But um, I, I wouldn't close the door in Vegas on Eric Carlson only because they still have other assets. They still have a first-round pick. They still have other highly talented prospects. Um, and of course, more importantly the, than all of that, they still have the cap room. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what else Vegas has up its sleeve, but the pressure is certainly off. I mean, that Pacioretty acquisition was a, certainly a big deal for them. Yeah. By the way, I thought your favorite saying was, where is the wine list? I, so I'm sorry, I must have been confused. <laughs> Uh, All right. We're going to take a quick break because we, we alluded to the player tour. You and I were, were in Chicago last week and uh, with uh, colleagues Craig Custins, Eric DeHatchik, Lisa Dillman was there, Scott Powers dropped by. Uh, and uh, um, just uh, so we, we're going to hear from uh, a few of the players that, uh, that we talked to, that I talked to uh, specifically. We talked to 
I don't know, must have been 20 or 25 guys, uh, very relaxed, uh, very, um, to me, it really marks the start of the, the season. And just before we, we hear from Tyler Sagan or you hear from Josh Manson of the Ducks and um, Vincent Trocek, a new dad from the Florida Panthers, I, I, for me, that I always enjoy the player tour because it's a moment of calm you know, before things really ramp up, before expectations are either being met or not, or you've got injuries to deal with and all the kind of stuff. It's a very sort of, there's this sort of zen part of it. I remember, you know, Patrick Kane was our first interview. We ripped on him because he didn't have a subscription to The Athletic. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, lighthearted moments with guys like Eric Stahl and Claude Giroux. So I wondered what your, you know, does it, is it, is it meaningful for you, I guess, to have that kind of moment with those players, players that, you know, you and I have been dealing with the on and off for, in some cases, for years and years? Mm-hmm. It's the premier event of the entire calendar to get players to be so uh, relaxed and open-minded and talk about things in a way in which I just don't think you can get them to do in the middle of the season when the grind of the season is just suffocating for them at times and, and, and there's a mental impact to that. And so it's just, they're so refreshed and laid back and, and smiling. And I mean, we're lucky. I mean, I think we have the best sport in the world in terms of the way these players conduct themselves, but this event, you know, they're still tanned. Uh, you know, they're, they're in a place like Chicago where they're going to have some fun at night. And it's just a great atmosphere for sure. I mean, every single interview we did was, well, you know, we, we ended the interview by saying, wow, there's a lot there. And I think, you know, all of us who were there for the athletic got what we needed for our respective columns. But uh, it really is the best time, best time of the year. It's a great event. And, you know, for the players, if people are listening, they're like, well, why are the, why don't the players do this? It's like a big car wash because they could knock off so many preseason interviews with the rights holders and other media platforms in 48 hours as opposed to have all that play out over a month. I mean, it's really for the players, and that's the point of this event. It, it really makes their life easier um, after the player tour in terms of minimizing their other obligations moving forward. So it's it's really, I think it's in its second decade. We've gone to all of them, Scott, and uh, it's really smart. Yeah, good stuff. All right, that's a good segue. So we'll take a bit of a break, you and I. Catch your breath and pack a little bit if you if you need to. Look out your window uh, because we're going to hear from Tyler Sagan and Josh Manson and Vincent Trocek, and then you and I'll be back to wrap things up. So don't go away.
right. <clears throat> I I refuse to be I refuse to, to let you ignore my question about the Washington Capitals. But <clears throat> since we're sort of we heard from some of the players we talked to at the player tour, <clears throat> and I have to say, for me, one of the most impressive guys was a guy who is now making his hockey home in your hometown of Toronto. And that was John Tavares. And, uh, you know, there is no bigger story from this offseason in terms of the, an addition made to a team and the attendant uh, hoopla and the buzz around it. <clears throat> and everyone knows what a great player John Tavares is, <clears throat> the former captain of the New York Islanders. And, and for me, listening to him describe what was a really heartfelt decision and a lot of emotion, obviously, going into deciding to um, sign a seven-year deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You spent some time around him and you've listened to him. What's his his impact in Toronto going to be? And what what are realistic expectations for a team that obviously hasn't won a cup since 67, but now is two straight playoff appearances, still haven't got out of the first round. To me, they're a team, I don't know where to put them. I don't know what to make of the Toronto Maple Leafs, are they truly a contender or are they, you know, just a team in, you know, sort of in the mix? No, I mean, they're absolutely a contender. I mean, they're on paper, absolutely a contender. The question is, can they make it all work in the pressure cooker that now is, uh, you know, uh, you know, hockey's biggest market on steroids now in terms of a fan base that hasn't seen the Stanley Cup since 1967 frothing at the mouth. So how do you handle that as players? And that's the real test, I think. But on paper, I mean, as, as the Western Conference GM told me in that piece I did for the Athletic my first day back at work last week, are you kidding me with those three centers down the middle? They're gonna That team's going to outscore everyone almost every night. I mean, yeah, they have problems on the fence and they need to not run Freddie Anderson into the ground this year and trust their backup more. But it's a super talented team. They're going to have the puck a ton, um, you know, and, and still coached by one of the best in the business, Mike Babcock. But to get to your point about Tavares, I mean, you, you see his impact already off the ice. I mean, on Monday here, the Leafs had their annual golf tournament where they kind of kick off the year. And of course the topic du jour was the absence of William Nylander, who as we tape this, <laughs> so, uh, he's an RFA who still hasn't signed. Those negotiations have, have really dragged all summer long, both sides struggling to find that number. They will eventually. But, um, and, and Tavares was sort of the one who, you know, you could just feel he was talking for the team when he said it'll get done, uh, you know, and looking forward to having Nylander back. I don't really know if he's met him yet, but here's Tavares sort of, sounding like one of the leaders already. And of course that's, that's who he is. You know, he's a Uber character guy, longtime captain with the Islanders and, and already taken up that lead, one of those leadership roles um, uh, with the Leafs. I'm looking very comfortable in doing so, I guess is my point. Um, and I think for Austin Matthews, who who does a ton of media and there every single day. And um, we asked, remember, we asked Austin that question when we sat down with him last week in Chicago, kind of in jest, but I, cause it's not the kind of thing fans really care about that much. But I said, you know, in your day-to-day duties in terms of the media, what it'll be like to have John Tavares being able to kind of deflect some of that, right? I mean, Tavares will be just as much in demand as Matthews. And Matthews, if you remember, Scott, Matthews' eyes lit up. <laughs> That's not a joke to him. He l- loves the fact that, there are days where maybe Tavares can 
will take a bigger chunk out of that and, and alleviate, you know, maybe his day for that day, whatever. But I think it's an absolute benefit for a guy like Austin Matthews to not only have John Tavares carve out a big chunk of that media demand, but also in, in what matters the most, of course, on the ice is, is carve out some of those defensive matchups. And I mean, you know, what do you do if you're the other team with your top D pair? Do you want him on Tavares? Do you want him on Matthews? Well, here you go. Here's the nightmare that other teams have faced with the Pittsburgh Penguins for, uh, for 15 years now. I, you know what? I don't, you know, and I, I think the natural, you know, maybe the, if, if you're a cynic and when you look at Tavares coming and you can, you can draw up a narrative that suggests conflict and, you know, the, you know, Kyle Dubas, the, the new GM in, in Toronto, interesting, just before the player two in Chicago announced that there wouldn't be a captain. And, uh, you know, and I think that's a smart, at least in the short term, you know, because I think people want to see, oh, well, you know, will Austin Matthews be uh, disappointed if he's not the captain? And will there be friction on who is the leader of the team and all those kinds of things? But I think you're absolutely right. And I think you, you, if you look around at, at some of the young players who've been foisted uh, into a captaincy role or a leadership role, maybe ahead of their time or before they're fully ready for it, um, I think it does impact how it has to impact how they play the game, right? If you have all this other burden on you, and I think of, you know, one of the guys that was of a tremendous, pleasant surprise, a really enjoyable conversation in Chicago was Jack Eichel. Um, but there's a guy, and I think he was very candid talking about, you know, having to accept his role and look in the mirror and all those kinds of things. Um, and I know that Jason Botterill is looking to, you know, surround Jack Eichel with, players who can shoulder that kind of burden. But yeah, to your point, to have a guy like John Tavares in that room every day can be nothing but a boon to Austin Matthews. And whether it's Mitch Marner and, again, William Nylander when he gets his deal signed, he's going to take a lot of pressure off those kids who might otherwise have to answer for that team in that big media market. And I, I think that's going to reflect itself on the ice. So. I think I'm, I'm mm-hmm. that. I think that's a good. Point. Was there a question there, or were you just joining well, on and on? I found I hadn't had enough to say in the last couple <laughs> minutes. So, um, all right, I want to. All right, so we're we're gonna uh, we're closing our way, winding our way toward the end of the first edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And I want to. We never did talk about Washington, no, though. Did we? Who cares about Washington? All they do is win the first ever cup in there. Yeah, but but by the way, the, cap, the the Capitals have given new meaning to Stanley Cup hangover entering this season. Well, like, okay. was he, will they be sober? Will, will they be sober by Christmas? Is what I want to know. Oh, well, but as you know, I mean, one of you know it was terrific. Vigeny Kuznetsov came in and talked about having the cup in his hometown of Chelyabinsk, where he was actually married in his own hometown arena. Um, but the best conversation about the cup was with T.J. Oshie, who described how the cup stand i didn't even know what a keg stand was before but now the cup stand which now they're not supposed to do he described how that happened but what's his best line though was i think to you at the end and he was like all i'm you know, basically i'm glad it's not october 1st now because yeah we, we were uh, we were talking about the you know the difficulty to repeat and and you know the stress on bodies of players who have played that late in june and i I had shared with T.J. Oshie the story of Duncan Keith because I'll never forget this. Duncan Keith, after the first cup in Chicago, telling me in the middle of the second season that he just never felt his body was back at 100%. Now, of course, Duncan Keith, you know, played 40 minutes a night that year, but 
but but uh, and that's when Hoshi responded, "Well, it's a good thing it's not opening night right now." <laughs> so so you know, very honest response. But I think that I mean, let, let's face it, that's a big test for the Capitals because they're kind of you know they're new to this idea of of you know not having a normal off season to do your normal workouts and get your body in perfect shape. I mean, listen, they'll take it after finally winning their cup. But but I think that'll be a big test both mentally and, and physically for them, um, you know, in the opening month or two, maybe. Um, you know, where is their focus? Where's their hunger? Because this is a team that partied like no other team I've ever seen before in terms of, you know, how unbelievably happy they were to finally get over the hump. And, you know, and, and you know, for TJ Oshie himself, remember, we talked about this, too, during our sit down with him. He, you know, he went from St. Louis to Washington in his career. So he went from one team in St. Louis that was knocking at the door all the time that couldn't get over the hump to a Washington team that was the poster boy for that. I mean, as much as Ovechkin's the story individually, for sure, given all the criticism that he has taken over the years and finally winning, geez, TJ Oshie, that's all he knew in his career from the get-go was we have a team to win, we have a team to win, and it took him a long time to finally win. Yeah, and he was terrific in the playoffs. And it was like, you know, he battled through injury during the regular season. And, um, yeah, I, 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 it's so – history tells you it's, it's incredibly difficult to go back-to-back. Of course, Pittsburgh did it in 16 and 17, first team in the salary cap era to do, era to do so. <clears throat> but this – Capital team will be interesting because they basically returned the entire roster from a year ago, apart from Phil Grubauer, um, who started the playoffs as a starting net minder and is now in Colorado, and Jay Beagle, a really important part um, of that team's chemistry and a terrific penalty killer, fourth line guy now in Vancouver. But this is still this is still a team loaded, and they're loaded with high end talent at at every position. John Carlson back with signing the big eight year deal and. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see how they battle through all of those uh, issues or dynamics that all cup winners face. And as you point out, maybe even more so given their blood alcohol content heading into training camp. But, uh, it's, uh to me, they're still right, still right in the mix. So, all right. I, I'm, okay. We're, I want to ask you, let's sort of broaden it here and just, uh, I'm not going to quite give you the last word, but who are you really looking forward to seeing? You're off to Vegas for part of training camp, but is there a player or a team that you're like, you know what? I'm, I can't wait to see how this unfolds. I wonder what will be, what's the storyline for this player or this team as we head into training camp and then the start of the 2018, 19 season. First of all, I'm glad no one's monitoring our blood alcohol content as we heading in, head into the season. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to see how my Cowboys bounce back Sunday against the Giants. I think that the offense will improve as time goes. Oh, you mean the NHL? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm, we're wide open here on two man advantage. So. Yeah, I mean, listen. I think the whole Nashville Winnipeg Central Division thing is is still fascinating to me. Uh, after covering that series with you and being with the Jets for three rounds, and you know, both the Predators and Jets really taking care of business this summer, right? I mean, the Predators had a gigantic negotiation with Ryan Ellis, which was not easy, but such an important signing for them. A year from now, they'll have to do the same with Roman Yossi, but, um, and the Jets, of course, no team busier than the Winnipeg Jets, Kevin Chevrolet off, and I really some impressive work in getting all that done, and as we tape this, the only guy left, I think, is Josh Morrissey to sign, and that's an interesting case, very valuable player for them, but they'll get that done. 
Um, but you know, those teams are all in and, 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 you know, they had some important off seasons to keep those bands together and they're the teams to beat again, uh, obviously, uh, in the West and, you know, St. Louis is interesting to me. Doug Armstrong never scared to make changes. Uh, I think people are sleeping on San Jose because they didn't get Tavares. So it was sort of like a letdown, I think, in terms of national perception of them. But, you know, they kept Evander Kane. They're healthy. Um, you know, I think there's another run in them, of course, Vegas. So, yeah, there's some fascinating teams. And you notice I went all West because I'm... <laughs> Probably on a plane today to Vegas, so why not? Well, and I'll stay with I'll stay with the West too, and, and uh, you couldn't couldn't be more right with the Central, and it's amazing. And you know, I, I go back to our conversation with Jonathan Taze uh, in Chicago, and man, you know, if there's a guy who's got his game face on well in advance Ooh. of training camp, it's it's Jonathan Taze. And people have written him off; they've written the Blackhawks off. There are still obvious questions with Corey Crawford, but you know it's amazing to think that in such a short period of time, like pe- people are assuming, well, not assuming, but people have really relegated them to the bottom of the Central Division, and I, I think it's I think it's premature. But that's how difficult that division is. You mentioned I thought <clears throat> Lewis, I thought Doug Armstrong did a masterful job of you know, retooling and, and reinvigorating that blues lineup after they mm-hmm. crushing loss in game 82 against Colorado. Um, but here's the, the one I want to ask you a question. Here's the guy, not just because he played here in Atlanta, but the return of Ilya Kovalchuk after a, a lengthy absence uh, playing in the continental hockey league in Russia, signing with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, they didn't get any younger, <laughs> those Kings, but when Jeff Carter healthy, you got Drew Doughty, one of the top three defense in the NHL. You've got Jonathan Quick still, you know, for my money, top five goaltender in the NHL. Um, you add Kovalchuk, you've got Anze Kopitar coming off a massive year. Uh, like, uh, what, are you, what are your expectations for Kovalchuk? Can he score 30, 35? Is, it, is the league going to be too fast for him, do you think? What, he's such a fascinating guy. I was looking at his stat. He's a point-of-game guy during his uh, career in the NHL in Atlanta and New Jersey. Uh, I'm not sure he's quite Hall of Fame numbers, but boy, he's, and I know I talked to Bob Hartley, who who saw him playing in the playoffs in the KHL, says he's still got it, still a physical specimen, still a rocket shot. He thinks he's going to have a great year. Um, of course, Kobe did help Bob get his job with Olmsk in the KHL, so maybe he's biased. But what what are your expectations? What's realistic for both Kovalchuk and the Kings, do you think? I think he'll have a good year. I don't think he'll have a great year. Uh, I think 30 goals, uh, which would be a very good year, is attainable, especially at the power play time. Um, one thing I always remember about aging players that come from come back to the NHL from the KHL is that what Yaramir Yager said to me years ago, and of course maybe that's not a great comparison because there's only one Yaramir Yager, but he was saying how his time in the KHL, because people always lament that. It, imagine his NHL stats had he not left for a few years to Russia, but he said that he would have never come back and played all these years in the NHL had it not been first time in Russia because A, with the bigger ice, and B, with all the practice time. The KHL teams practice like crazy compared to NHL teams. And the actor said he came back a stronger player physically, that, that, that he was that he basically had gotten in better shape because of his time in the KHL and, and that he really felt uh, the bounce off that when he came back over here. And, and I don't know if that applies to Ilya Kovalchuk or not, but um, you know, in terms of how much he slowed down, but I think it's something to remember. Uh, I'll never forget that from Jagger. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of stronger, I, I think you were much better on this uh, episode of two man advantage than in the Uber. 
So I'm glad I'm glad you picked it up. That was good. Well, I mean, we're not stuck in Chicago traffic at the back of an Uber, right? So there's there's that. Although I do have to pack now and get back to another airport uh, on route to Vegas. <laughs> well, it's a perfect segue then. Well, my friend, uh, I'm glad we uh, we got this together, and hopefully no one will get traded between now and when I uh, send the sound in. But um, I'm looking forward to our weekly chats and um, safe travels, and have a good season, yeah. my friend. Yeah, so big uh, big mission for you this year, shorter questions. No, that's, no, that's, no. We're going to work on that happen. together. Nope, that's not going to happen. But anyway, you let me know. <laughs> All right, see you next time, Mitch.